You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode of Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me this evening is... Kevin Truitt, Robert Thomas, Lex Cardone, and we're recording on June 6, 2019. Uh, so we're back for another episode, and today we'll be doing uh, kind of a thing on World War II since today is the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be weird. We'll see how it goes. Um, but until we, before we jump right into that, we get into our beer we're drinking this evening, which is... Uh, the Avery Brewing Double Digit Hazy IPA. Any particular reason for this, or? Um, it looked weird. It looked weird, and it's strong as hell. Ten percent. Okay. It's imperial, <laughs> it's imperial juicy and hazy India India pale ale. Also, he been hazy IPAs, so I was like, oh. I should just Hopefully, keep... this one redeems the uh, the brand. Juicy. I. I like that. Well, I taste the juice. I taste the haze. Do you taste the double digit? You no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't, which is kind of scary. <laughs> It'll get you. Ten beers later. It's going to sneak up on you. feel that rather than yeah. taste it. Yeah. Halfway through the episode, I'll be like, oh, there it is. Be a return oh. to the pirate cruise. <laughs> the there's, there's no rum punches. That was, <laughs> that was what got me on the pirate cruise. That's, that's really, that's it's really almost diplomatic it back. throwback. It's yeah. almost diplomatic, like, vintage yeah. edition. Basically, uh, spoiler, uh, Lex, we were doing episode two, and Lex showed up uh, from a pirate cruise pretty drunk. Basically sits down as... I, I mean, it, as asked, one should be from yeah. a pirate cruise. Come yeah, on. no, he's, it wasn't wrong. He just he sat down and was like, so what are we doing? I said, shut up, we're going, and then we started the episode. Sounds yeah. about right. Well. Yeah. Anyway, double digit hazy IPA, how, besides the... Arr. How you're drunk, um, what do you guys rate it as? A one to five. It's pretty smooth. Um, it kind of like it's smooth, but it kind of the the taste is really good up front, but it kind of dies th- in the end. So, but I still like it, so I'll give it a four. I'll give it a, a four as well. It's not just screaming about how bitter it is the way that a lot of IPAs these days. Yeah, try like to we do, need so more hops. It's got a and, little bit yeah. more going on. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's right. the best kind. Mm. I, I feel pain when I drink. No one can see the expression that I'm giving Ryan right now. I don't know if it's it judgment. isn't a good one. <laughs> Why? There's a lot a of one. bless your heart involved in the facial expression. Rob, stop oh, waving honey. at me. It's weird. I'm right there. Jesus. Hey, it's the South. They're on the, they're on the rules. <laughs> the South are on the rules. <laughs> We're south of the Mason Dixon. Not wrong. Technically, it is true. <laughs> Yay, geography. Anyway, so uh, what were two? This is. Um, Basically, the question is kind of like kick off of it. Uh, what's got to kick off this episode is: <laughs> Does killing baby Hitler actually change anything? So Ryan is <laughs> having trouble keeping himself put together saying that, but this is actually a an almost cliched uh, thought experiment with how commonly people bring it up, talking about contingency and free will and. And ethics. I mostly talk about time travel movies because I watched the trailer for Terminator <laughs> recently. Yeah. And, but, and like and they, the takeaway was like, 
like everyone says that and like it'd be just a st- it wouldn't fucking do anything at least it's my view on it yeah, yeah the whole idea of i mean we've been bombarded in the last few days with Im- like the old images of the you know the doors uh, the ramps, the Bombay doors, and the ramps coming down, and all those Higgins images books. and feelings that come with them, and the thought of you know the guy b- pr- behind this Hitler, if he was if he you know got hit by a bus in Vienna or had a freak painting accident or something or or got shot on the <laughs> western front, I don't know, put a paintbrush <laughs> through his <laughs> eye, chemicals, he <laughs> ah! got can- get cancer for the paint and then died. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Is our you know, are we just in a set of parameters that kind of repeat itself and you know emerge regardless of the personalities involved, or are people really the ones who shape the destinies of nations? Well, and to to put it another way, how much of what actually happens in world affairs is down to individual personalities versus bigger things, whether that's the cultural trends and moods of large groups of people or natural events or any number of other trends or contingencies. What's the, the balance there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe if Hitler wasn't sleeping in on D-Day, they would have found a way to, you know, reverse the invasion. But would that have really altered the course of the war? Well, I mean, at the end of the day. Well, uh, Hitler was very bad at commanding, so he probably would have messed something up. And he kept thinking, oh, I'm correct, and I'm right, and so my decisions will be right because I've made them. Yeah, but could Germany still have won if they had, I don't know, um, Rommel as the guy running the show? Possibly. I mean, well, but, at that stage? At that stage, Russians, no. Well, no. Yeah, no. yeah. But I think to... So some of that boils down to... A different level than what I think we're really focused on because ultimately when you're talking about active military engagements someone is in command mm-hmm. uh, at some level and you can talk about who has the better judgment that's one layer of discussion but I think what Ryan was getting at was something more like if you didn't have Hitler as an individual in the mix what would have happened with the rise of the Nazi party would it ever have actually gotten into the position of power in German politics that it did and would it have led the country into the kind of aggression that caused World War II? Yeah, these counterfactuals are tough, but I think, you know, if there were plenty of charismatic individuals like Hitler around that time who were angry at the status quo, um, so was he really that unique of a an individual it was just, was i there? think it was a time and a place thing but if you look i mean you look at germany in the 1920s and 1930s i think they're just they're suffering at was mostly the treaty of versailles after the second well, the first world war world war well, they were suffering and then they were doing great yeah. and then yeah. 1929 hit yeah and they so, kind of went back to and so it's interesting because so hitler and uh ludendorff who was one of the commanders of Ger- or one of the german high commanders chief of mustache of the german high yes. command um, Major World War One hero yes. who got a lot of cachet for also, Hitler and Co. Yeah, got, uh, so they got they all did the they had the beer hall pushed in uh, Munich back then, and so Hitler ended up in and this is this is after Hitler after the war Hitler's got involved with uh, what becomes the Nazi Party, 
Um, but uh, Hitler ended up going to jail, and many of the others as, did as well. And they were kind of people were like, who who the heck are these guys? These like crazy, you know, right wing. But once that economic collapse hit, it really did change. People went from like, oh, he's you know a crazy person. He says stupid things. Um, or like crazy things to be like, oh, you know, maybe this ideology so, yeah. like resonates with me a little Whereas more. Whereas the current government is not doing much to, you know, in, yeah. in the eyes well, of, the, of Joe, you know, Joe the plumber on the street. Yeah, to, the, to the, the <laughs> for lack of a better word. So, I mean, it's also important to note that up until World War One, you had an imperial monarchy with layers of institutions built around that. So yeah. the whole system of representative democratic politics was yeah and imperfectly and incompletely laid down experiment yeah. at the time and mm -hmm. so you it wasn't like you had a couple mainstream groups and they were just chugging along and then the nazis come out of nowhere and they were one of several and somehow blow them out of the water groups, you have all yeah. kinds of convoluted factions and alliances nothing happens in a vacuum yeah i mean essentially yep. is the kind of the takeaway because i mean like it, it was if it wasn't the nazis it would have been a group kind of like the nazis probably or it could have been the communists. communists yeah yeah they it, were arguably more powerful in the lead up to you know the 20s and 30s than <laughs> anybody else and yeah it, it's kind of it, it could have gone in like maybe the war the second world war may have happened maybe never never did or it got pushed back it happened like or later maybe it happened centuries. in a different form with yeah Maybe the proletariat would have seized the, the, the memes of production. Yeah. <laughs> all hell seizing the memes. <laughs> so, damn it all, Kevin. <laughs> if you can't see okay Rob's face that. right now, which none of you can, because this is a podcast and not TV, well, this, this, he's, he's done. <laughs> this is the reason I feel like we didn't see Rob for a while. We guys didn't hear Rob for a while because Rob just, you know... That... They didn't hear me. You three didn't see my facial expressions is really what this is boiling down to. <laughs> yeah, these are the reasons. Like, it's because of Kevin. But anyway. True. <laughs> <laughs> but that, so it, it's kind of like... To say that Hitler was like the, the you know, the pinnacle between everything that happened with the Second World War is like... It's it's like yeah it, well, it, it it kind of feels to me like it's all been kind of a roll of the dice and Hitler ended up where he was because of a lot of factors and a lot of luck more than anything else so, on his part. Well, so what's what's interesting though is I think you could make a case that even without him on the scene, some sort of authoritarian group out of the many on the scene. Uh, could have taken control of politics yeah. eventually through whatever set of contingencies and taken Germany back on a militaristic path. But when you look at the specifics of the Nazi party and its specific aims and tactics, it is also important to note that a lot of their structure became based around a personality cult internal to the party right. around Hitler, mm -hmm. where other other leaders, not just but the, members, yeah. but leaders were fawning Hitler fanboys and but, fangirls. Yeah. But there was, you're right, that basis of this kind of, um, you know, absolute, or not absolute, the Prussian military state has been around. I mean, people in Germany were not like used to... militarism. Yeah, they, they were not... There was no history, really, of representative government. So you have 
a kind of regression to what people are familiar with. And people ask a lot, like, how could, how could the Hitlers vote? Or how could the Hitlers vote? How could the people of Germany... <laughs> so now we're going uh, from, do we have one to do we have several? It's, it's all, Secret it's all, Hitler. It's, it's all coming out now. How Alex views all Germans. Uh, yeah, no, like, I mean, kind of... Yeah. But, like, how could the... How could the German people elect a guy like Hitler? It's like, well, he wasn't terribly in, you know, at least substance leading up. I mean, palling around with Ludendorff with this kind of Prussian militarism. And, and it obviously well, and became something a, very distinct. He was very, a veteran. And, well, and even with the the sort of mainstreaming that he got mm-hmm. from playing with war heroes and, and more old school conservatives. More, yeah. the, the, he the didn't, Munich banking sort of old guard but he, latched onto him. He didn't come into power by like winning a popular election individually to become the leader. There was a complicated set of coalition arrangements and emergency laws and various other tricks yeah. that were used to get the Nazi party genuinely in control of the government. And then, of course, when you have a wartime environment, you get a certain amount of deference that any public tends to give to a leader and Uh leading party in a perceived time of crisis where the other out there is the real threat. Or even the other in your country. Communists, (laughs) ethnic minorities, religious minorities. Yeah. Yeah, it's it got it got complicated real quick, but I mean, it's just again, it could have happened without him, potentially. But I mean, it's also like but the, like I said, it's like counterfactuals are hard, but it's like. But also, the question is, what it? Because we're when we talk about everything that came out of out of the Nazis, we're talking about a lot of different pieces. We're talking about their military aggression abroad. We're talking about their campaigns of genocide and repression domestically against Jews and various other groups. And so there are lots of different pieces to disentangle here. You could have a contingency where someone else ends up in power and they do some subset of those things, not others, and they do some other things on the mix that lead to a very different sort of domestic or foreign policy direction even with some commonalities. Well, it would it basically if you like you do what kind of Hitler did is like you you play the fears of the people. It's like oh the French did this to us, the fucking Russians are this too, and probably the Jews. I mean, anti-Semitism was already high enough in Europe and it still is. Yeah, I think going back away. over a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the German the Germans did anti-Semitism the best than you know anyone did. So mm. more than two thousand years. The, yeah, the Romans were really good at it too. The Romans were good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's sad, but like no, it, it's it's the concept that this was gonna have to happen because of because the, I mean mostly the Treaty of Versailles was garbage in my opinion. It's just like it's just, you're setting up the fail. It's kind of a big fuck you. Yeah, but I think you're looking at it from a. I mean, historically, most tre- when you lost a war, you suffered, and that was like the last. I I, I don't you know what? or you gave up territory or you made it you know a financial concession or you. Lost, co- like, look what I mean. They, they yeah. put they put it all in Germany for the most part. Yeah. Well, and and you can, I mean, you can talk till you're blue in the face about whether that was a, a just allotment of blame. Like realistically, it, there were plenty right. of other countries and leaders yeah. beyond the Germans oh, who yeah. were responsible yeah. for the First World War. But 
but I don't think it's the case that the Treaty of Versailles was a sufficient condition yeah. for the direction that Germany went in the 30s. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, the economic situation played a large role in the people sort of sliding into a situation where they could be radicalized or and, drawn into this, like, appealing ideology. Well, and an economic situation that was not consistent and f- at the same yeah. level the whole way between yeah. w- the end of World War yeah. One yeah. and the rise yeah. of the Nazis. It, it had all kinds of dips and fluctuations, like Lex mentioned. And there was a, an active conscious effort by the Nazis and others allied with them in German politics to play up and create Remember, a domestic level paid. of resentment about the Treaty of Versailles that most people had kind of like yeah, forgotten yeah. about by yeah. that point because there were so many other more recent factors that were driving their well-being or lack thereof. Remember, they had paid... I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure this is true, but tell me if I'm wrong. They, they had actually, during that boom time after the initial, you know, suffering of Versailles, like, they had actually paid back their debts in they, large part. So they had before, restructured before, the, yeah. the payment plan, so it was pretty, like, So they were, like, they we're, gonna, we're in good financial shape. They're, like, a, you know, apart from the early 20s, then, inflation, bef- things yeah, were pretty and stable. And then, you know, I mean, Black Friday hit, and then everything went to shit again. Oops, but, like, that, that was us. That, yeah. <laughs> Oops, Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, I don't know. Because, like, so, it's just the difference between the end of World War One and the end of World War Two kind of splits, to me, the sort of, you know, this is how wars were fought in the past. You fought to defeat and crush your enemy. Now, you know, we have Bretton Woods. We have the International Monetary Fund. We have the World Bank. We have these things to bring the defeated nations out of, you know, bring, I mean, obviously. Because a beaten will come not, you again. Yeah, not, mm-hmm. I'm not, it wasn't, you know completely selfless i mean there was like we want to bring you up at our own image kind of thing but... oh yeah well i mean if you <laughs> yeah. if you look at what happens after world war ii not just the allies as a whole but especially the u.s in particular invested right. a huge amount of time treasure and effort into steel sciences well <laughs> that was that was actually a very cheap part of, this, of the process do, do you know what to uh, russia all, call us all these guys yeah, in that was... coats and cape Canaveral with hitler mustaches <laughs> What's that about? I don't know. Yeah, that that, that was not an expensive not initiative. Nazi. But the expensive part, <laughs> the expensive thing, fuck that, London. The expensive thing that the U.S. did was oh, invest. When we vetoed London, yeah, it was a VTG. I'm sorry. <laughs> I robbed. Yeah, sorry. But the but the expensive thing that the U.S. did after World War II was really rebuilding Germany and Japan both yeah. to be truly successful stable economic and political yeah. regimes and, and, and wrote the japanese constitution and the, and now yeah. now don't get me wrong the the people of both countries future generations of leaders who wanted to do better than those in the past did a huge amount of work on that as well but the point is that the u.s saw it as an investment mm-hmm. the and, and the u.s put a lot into supporting positive outcomes to transform those past enemies into friends and allies and partners that had a shared interest with us. Which is which has not really been a part of human history before. When you sign treaties and you end wars, you don't there hasn't been much effort to reform the enemies you defeat. Yeah, when I ever play civilization, I just fucking destroy people. Well, that, that, that's, what, 
<laughs> That's why we don't give you command of the, the, the American Legion. Not yet. Right. Representative <laughs> of atavistic man. But no, because, like, like, you know, I mean, those reasons were also, like, we wanted to build up Japan and, uh, and Germany because, like, oh, yeah, hey, they're, uh, hey, they're Soviet Union. Well, it was, yeah. it no, was to stabilize not, them yeah. and prevent them from falling into a competition with the Soviet Union within those countries, but also make them security-wise yeah, dependent on the least, U.S. Yeah. or on a U.S.-led order. Yeah, initially order. it was NATO. more of a... It wasn't it's so much about the... I mean, yeah, it was about the Russians, but it was also about, like, we. this is what we are. We're a stable... You know, we, we want more people like us, democratic peace theory, whatever you want to call it. You know, this... This is a future investment to, you know, pro- and by the way, we Russians. don't want the, the Europeans to like start marching up and down the Rhine again and destroying the world like yeah. they've been doing. So plenty to be said about those those kinds of reconstruction efforts and how they fit into big picture approaches to the world order. But I want to kind of cycle back to this theme of individuals versus contingency. And I... I think we've seen World War II and the run-up to it in Germany is a particularly messy case where there's a lot on on both sides to say that there were some negative trends building that had a high chance of still going in a certain direction even without the individual that was Adolf Hitler. But maybe some reasons to think that aspects of it were still really importantly tied to him as an individual – well, I want to look at a, a different example. If we go back to the prior century, look at Napoleon. That, I think, is a case where I, I'm open to alternative perspectives, but I can't see any, anything like what happened with France under Napoleon happening as just a normal outgrowth of what was going on with the French Revolution right. without the extremely exceptional personality and and fortuitous circumstances of Napoleon Bonaparte as an individual. Yeah, he was the ultimate opportunist. I mean, coming in as this revolutionary general and then coming out as an emperor and building the empire. And everyone started as more of a Corsican separatist, yeah, right. then became well, a French military <laughs> officer. It's me, it's me. Well, well, this is almost diplomatic after hours time. You want to learn about the court, the history of Corsican separatism. I should, I should like give it to like, give Rob the mic, mic, uh, yeah. give uh, the mic to Rob. I'll be the post show. Just like, just, just talk, talk about whatever you want. Well, yeah, but, such, but like, that's, no, I he, need the right, yelling whiskey right. for that. He was a, he was a very, very ambitious, uh, general who yeah, had, consolidated a lot of military, his military He turned skills. the revolution on a dime, which people were already distrusting because of how bloody and how insane it was. And he kind of used that reactionary tendency to push himself into the imperial throne well and, like, and then and then took a foreign policy that? course that was totally that? unique oh yeah and unexpected yeah so it's because i think a lot of people aren't that familiar with the french revolution quick synopsis of what exactly happened where do you want to start i mean like don't i mean don't, don't i mean well, don't have the top let like, the meat cake i mean the in, cake, well the cake, economic cake, situation cake, cake, cake. so uh, in 1989 i mean precedent of the american war of independence you had kind of a an upswell in a lot of quarters of enlightenment philosophy inspired ideas of liberty and popular government that 
liberals. That and the French government basically being bankrupt and grinding everyone into poverty yeah. uh, triggered... And maintaining their whole divine right kind of like... Well, but but all that yeah. triggered a situation where you had domestic crises that turned into an actual revolution that got increasingly radical and tyrannical and purging and killing lots of people and then got embroiled in wars with all of its neighbors who were terrified that this the chaos of the revolution was going to spread. It sounds like Iran. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I know we're, we're not supposed to bring today into modern terms, but... Or, or Russia back in the you know, yeah. Russia back in the day yeah. too. But you end up with a situation where Russia now. Na- Napoleon kind of makes his makes his career as a rising star in the military officer corps in these revolutionary wars around France's neighbors, and he kind of pivots that into a position of domestic political power mm-hmm. series of maneuvers ends up with him setting himself up as sole ruler eventually declaring himself First emperor citizen. yeah how did this and, happen oh my god so well but then but then he then he goes beyond just checking any aggression from france's neighbors to basically progressively going and conquering and fundamentally reordering the entire political structure of most of europe until he eventually overstretches and goes into Russia, gets bogged down there in the classic. winter, which is a classic way to lose everything, uh, and it all falls to pieces. But you you had conflict between revolutionary France and its neighbors before he came into power. Yeah. But the particular direction that French domestic politics took under him and French foreign policy took under him and how that genuinely changed the entire order of European politics from then to now. That's not something that I think just happens as an inevitable trend from the revolution without his specific decisions and personality and his ability to take advantage of the luck and opportunities that he had as an individual. So you think he was more consequential than Hitler? Napoleon in France was more consequential. Actually, than you you have a you have you have a case that he was a more unilateral locus of exactly how things went. Yeah. Like you could see similar trends happening in Germany without Hitler. Right. I don't think you see as much of a similar trajectory in France without Napoleon. What do you see without Napoleon? I mean, again, counterfactuals, but well, so I mean, at that point when Napoleon kind of rose, there was no one. It, did, it didn't really seem like there... I mean, first of all, the revolution had eaten its own. Uh, and no... Very few of the... Monsieur la guillotine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and so you, you had a weak sort of central government that was... The war was going... The wars were going relatively well, but the... So, I mean, I supposedly yeah. another general could come in and take over, but Napoleon was one of these people who not only had that success and that name recognition for his victories, but... You know that driving ego to yeah. well, I don't allow know, him to. Why would, I don't really know why the first the French Revolutionary Wars was it was it 
because they just drafted everybody and sent them at the Austrians. Yeah, the Levy on Mass. Yeah, yeah. They, they, like, it was... That's like, where you were, modern you, total war they were, came These from. professional armies were used to facing battalions of normal sizes, and they faced battalions Essentially that were, like, mercenaries. regiment yeah. sizes of, like, just masses of people. It was well, it was a totally different way to fight. Yeah. Well, and also mobilizing resources on yeah. a much, a much yeah. more total scale. Logistics, logistics is key. It wasn't just the you know the king paying a bunch of guys to go and fight. Yeah. It was the his entire Swiss, nation. His Swiss, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was the it was the entire nation uh, funneling resources towards the war effort. But I don't i I think you can see French revolutionary like even if you end up with kind of a mired mess out of the revolution, I think you can see different factions uh, within French politics trying to export through propaganda their principles and ideas elsewhere in Europe, maybe even engaging in terrorism elsewhere in Europe to try and stir up revolutions there. But I don't think you see... So first of all, I don't think you see a drive to do something that's modeled more on the Roman Empire yeah. than anything else. Yeah. And second, I don't think you see anyone who is interested in and able to go on an expeditionary effort to literally transform the continent of Europe through military mm-hmm. force and to actually do that successfully. Because yeah, you still have revolutions throughout Europe going in, you know, 48 and everything. And even, and this is post-Napoleon, imagine if... 30. Even, even imagine if the French Revolution was still kind of in the air and wasn't, you know, completely doused by that Napoleonic in the imperial tendency. Burning swamp. Right. Probably. Burning swamp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at a certain point when the soil has so much blood in it it never quite dries out. Right. It just bubbles. It just solidifies and, and says, I'm done. That's why it's a the sidetrack from all that. That's why like people make for the French like most because you know they were surrendered World War II, whatever, like Rarely that kind of crap. But some like, of them. Some of them. Some of them do. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's full of shit. Like, have you not heard their national anthem? Holy fuck. Like, oh, yeah. Well, that the Marseillaise <laughs> came from uh, more <laughs> radical revolutionaries. From the revolutionaries, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not like, oh, Interesting hey. history and politics just around that song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, God Save the Queen was equally fucked up in a lot of ways. Still they is. had their whole like they had several verses about rebellious <laughs> Scots to crush and Irish to imprison. I'm sure they had that too. That's uh you know but that's yeah. the way to run yeah. a run an empire. Yeah, sometimes you get to crack a couple of eggs. Huh, Irish eggs. I'm just I'm trying <laughs> you, to go. You, you, <laughs> you missed Kevin staring on Ryan straight in the eyes as Ryan's he said left that. eye is twitching hard. Right now. <laughs> It's not just the. It's beer. almost like Eric Trump trying to pour a Guinness. <laughs> God, that was just. I, you sent me the picture. It's like, and he, he, I thought I wasn't gonna bring up modern day. No, no, no. I, that's not, I it's, not, it's fine because like that's just. He's he so poured, proud of it too, which dude, is the fucking worst part. He poured it like he tapped like I would tap kegs back in college, like <laughs> like but like kegs. No, he was just so proud of it. He's like, look, what I did. It's like that's not how it goes. Half of it's foam, a third of it's beer. Praise be, laddie. Not yeah. Not an embodiment of the uh, spirit of the world. Of course, it's family here in Germany. So, so anyway, I uh, <laughs> I want to like. I, it's interesting because it seems like there are these. It's these the conditions, like the economic conditions, create a moment. And I, I'm thinking of another example. This is going way back. So Julius Caesar emerging 
in the you know in the the Roman Empire, but you look at the situation that led up to Julius Caesar and then uh, uh, Octavian Augustus, his more uh, competent successor. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> there were a number of strong men. Both you had Marsh Martian no uh, Martius. Anyway, so Mar- yeah, you, you, the you Marius, Marius, Marius. Yeah. Is this the experience? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you had uh, oh, a, a condition in Rome, in the Roman Republic, that was unsustainable, and people were not very happy. The economic situation was... And it had been that way for generations. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the thing. Is But it was boiling over, and Julius, Julius Caesar, you know, a war veteran, uh, a hero... You know, man of the popular people or popular people. opportunist, just like yeah. Napoleon. Yeah. And and it, it, it seems like... Also those... Roman beatnik. Yes. They, Not they... kidding. There is some like hilarious history about Julius Caesar as a fashion and social rebelliousness trendsetter in his youth. Really? What was he wearing? Like togas that were not white but slightly whiter. Oh, uh, <laughs> like had these fringed sleeves. Had his They're belt black. real loose. Oh, like but Cicero oh, had something yeah. to say about that. Oh yes, he did. <laughs> oh yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, you're coming to my form and wear that. Uh uh-uh, uh Julia. Get out of here with that Grecian shit. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I'll crucify you. Oh, just like, just like that was that was whatever the equivalent of the Met Gala is, not the uppity Roman politician solution. But it, it, this is sort of a. It seems like there's like a primordial ooze, and all it takes is that you know that personality and that lightning bolt to to strike it and cause life to. That's what happens. But your your analogy, I want to tweak because the idea of a primordial ooze right there is (laughs) something that's like fairly stable and stagnant yeah, yeah whereas no. these are dynamic mixes oh, yeah, of conditions yeah. that we're talking about in any of these situations and i mean it's it's funny how closely this tracks onto one of the most interesting and completely misrepresented political thinkers of the last thousand years which is machiavelli like mm. everyone talks about machiavelli as an example of of ruthlessness but that's not actually where the meat of what he talks about is. What he's really interested in and talks about at length is this relationship between what he calls fortuna and virtu. Fortuna being fate, chance, contingency. Just what's happening in the environment around you. And virtu being this set of qualities of the individual. Their judgment, their courage, their decisiveness... Various other hmm. and various other traits, yeah. and 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 an individual's virtu is what shapes their ability to identify and seize opportunities or respond to challenges that Fortuna throws their way. And so it's an interaction between the two. Machiavelli's idea is you don't have a situation where the world just inevitably barrels on in one direction, regardless of what anyone does. But it's also not the case that people just kind of through force of will plow their own path regardless of anything else that happens it's no it's a it's a relationship a dynamic interaction between those two things the individual and the conditions around them that makes politics hmm. yeah no that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah. it's kind of what I was getting at <laughs> but Machiavellian well, but Machiavellian yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so basically that you know People matter, but 
so do ideas and the, the, the sort of, um, combination of people and ideas and, and the environment economics literal physical environment all kinds yeah, of things yeah, so yeah if, if baby Hitler was killed in a time travel accident with Skynet sponsoring that um, it may be better <laughs> how deep does it go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the chemicals are making the wrong <laughs> anyway but yeah. like it wouldn't be like it could be better it could be worse it could be it, it you know People do have an impact on the eventualities of yeah, fate. Yeah, I think they do, but I but, think it also, in certain aspects, it depends. It really, there's an outcome that always will happen because of the environment that it produces. It'll produce somebody or something that is. Yeah, but I don't see, like, I, as Rob said, in Napoleon's case, how does that. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying Napoleon's how, case. I mean, or even if Hitler wasn't around, would there be a genocidal war or would the leader of Germany just be another Mussolini who wants to be, you know. Well, he would have been Mussolini. And is maybe more successful at wars. But damn better, it, um, he if... took it from me. I was going to say that, damn it. Because he was commanding Germans, not Italians. Yeah, I was, 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 was going for, um, was, was for Italy and you ruined but, it, right? But, yeah. But, but it's like, yeah, I mean, You're welcome, if Hitler wasn't around, would the model be Mussolini? I mean, they did a lot of things. Or Mussolini's um, Italy did a lot of things better than Hitler's Germany did, aka not waging genocidal wars instead of... and doing the Stalin's socialism in one country thing. What? Sort of. Yeah, but he conquered it, which Italians of the past were not able to do. Yeah, it took guns and fucking advanced equipment from Germany. I know, I'm not not making a a military strategy point here. I'm just saying, like... I I just want to make fun of Italy. It seems like Mussolini (laughs) could have... If if Hitler wasn't around and and fascism had followed Mussolini's model, it would have been easily, more easily sold. I think at that at that moment you would have had, if there was no Hitler, say like Germany was like just a a, a baseline Germany, like they're okay, like yeah. they have built their military, but not they have no ideas of like trying to like yeah. invade their neighbors or like you know try to exterminate the Jews and that kind of shit. You know, there's still the whole thing called uh, Stalin in uh in the East, yeah, who's off his fucking rocket. Would he have just who likes cowboys taken off? <laughs> would and he, would he have just taken off and like gone in just like Hitler did? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he tried. He didn't have exactly I the same Finland. predispositions, but he definitely <laughs> yeah. would have yeah. continued to wage wars of great. Like if you oh, look, yeah. if you look at anything about the things that Stalin like... st- Stalin said, wrote, discussed, yeah. like he would absolutely oh, have been for as sure. militaristic as anyone but in I history. His, given his the vision, right but I think his vision wasn't quite as you know grand and total. As a guy like Hitler, in terms uh, of, I, th- I, th- I, know, I, I, like, I he disagree. Was... I, I, th- I don't think you should underestimate the combination of just Stalin's personal ego, but also the ideological structure of Soviet communism at the time was very wedded to this idea of a global revolution. No, under Trotsky it was, but he got an ice pick in Mexico City. Stalin was focused on. <laughs> Well, he can solve. Kind of Stalin was focused on his own power and his, and you know, he, he would fight, you know, think, he would fight aggressive wars whenever he felt like it, but it was more about his own clique, his own personal. Hitler had some like God fearing like, destiny. Well, yeah, he, he him, wanted to come. He was the like world he wanted to f- to save the world. I don't think from the Jews. Yeah, from I don't he, the evil, for, evil for the Aryan Germans. I don't think Stalin gave a shit about the Slavic Russians. Or oh no! Like Stalin's racial, Stalin's priorities were not were yeah. not ethnic. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't think you would have seen yeah. the same propensity for 
ethnic cleansing mm-hmm. that you that just you did with the Nazis. Political Stalin killed more people than Hitler. I'm just right. saying. <laughs> yeah, so, you right. Did. So you, you might have seen a different structure to the body count, yeah. but you may have seen as much or more oh, of a body count. For sure. Well, I think you could have seen if there was no Hitler, Hitler's Germany kind of thing. He might have gone west, but I don't think it that... been, like, acceptable to people, like, whereas Hitler was just so... You know, no, I, break I, promise here, break promise there. Well, Stalin and Mus- the Mussolini type of people could have. I think, like, I think they, they know when to pull back. I think it would expand. To, I think it yeah. would expand it, but there would be mostly to create a buffer zone. Like Poland still be his. Like Germany, you want Germany to be weak because Germany's always yeah. been. A, a well, Poland has a history of going poof. So yeah, <laughs> womp. <laughs> Poor Poland. Yeah, that's a sad <laughs> history there. Yeah. Poland. Well, hey, you know, the Russian, I think, I don't know if you guys saw, one of the Russian embassies, probably the UK one, uh, tweeted about... Did someone get fucking poisoned? No, no, no. This is this is about... No, that was Tuesday. <laughs> so got they, thrown, they, they thrown down the stairs. They, they tweeted... They built an They built yeah. a bullet. So, so sad. No, see, that's very Stalin right there. That's, sorry, Kevin, yeah. go ahead. They, they tweeted that... Uh, like, oh, you know, D-Day, the Russians were already winning, but, you know, it was good to open a second front. So what they neglected to mention, that oh, Russia also God, started I the war. I hate that dick-measuring bullshit. I hate that so much. It's Who br- really won the war? Well, yeah, the, the Soviets threw a bunch of people into machine gu- German machine guns. And, <laughs> yeah, these so, are like, A bunch of peasants who didn't even know Enough comrades, good. Yeah. <laughs> enough <laughs> comrades, plug yeah. gears. Very nice. No, the best thing I saw for that, uh, it's from the, uh, the Royal Family Twitter account. The Queen was introduced to leaders by the Prime Minister, each representing the Allied nations that took part in D-Day. And uh, there's a picture. And uh, if you cannot tell, that's uh, Merkel who's in it. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, the war's over. <laughs> oh my god. We're friends oh, now. Word. It's like it's like when Trump threw the skull and like he has left the United Kingdom. Yeah. 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 So the free Scotland. <laughs> The you may take our lives, but that's I mean, man, what, there's someone killed different, King George, different situation, great. different situation. But anyway, yeah. So um, down a couple minutes. Do you guys have anything last minute? Oh, okay. Rob, final thought. Yeah, I mean, I I think the takeaway is that it's it's tricky and it varies trying to gauge how much comes down to the individual and how much comes down to the environment bigger yeah bigger environmental things i and i don't think you can realistically look at history and say that one of those always and everywhere just overpowers the other there may mm-hmm. be more weight in some cases or others you you probably don't see anything like the mongol empire without genghis khan you don't see the reordering of europe that Napoleon undertook without him. But there are plenty of bigger forces that do shift things. And the best we can do is try to gauge the relationship between those two sides of the coin. Neither one of them is going away. I think the best takeaway from it is this. Hitler doesn't matter enough to be affected by being an individual, but more by the environment. He's not Napoleon, he's not Caesar, he's not any other people. I think that would drive him more insane than anything if he was still alive. Yeah, he was a He's small more... shit human being. <laughs> yeah. But but he was more consequential than 
most of them i would i would say it's about the same i mean or, I, mean, I, I don't know it's debatable it, it is it is and like we're not yeah, gonna have the debate like uh, but it's like for a, horror, yeah but before it's like it's like i think i think environment was more for him and for the others we discussed like caesar and the point it was more oh. the individual oh my painting career nine <laughs> the lines are so it's so hard it's so hard to pave in the lines <laughs> Anyway. This is artist bourgeois. Nine. <laughs> I'll kill all the liberals. Yeah. Um, you know what the deep that's irony what it was. was. <laughs> yeah, all the intellectuals. Boom for but that. You, you know what the deep irony was? Is bourgeois the the thing that tanked Hitler's success as an artist in art school was being terrible. What, God's well, no, like it, he wasn't terrible at everything. What he was terrible at, what he couldn't do, was paint people. Mm. human beings ah well he couldn't represent his fellow human beings <laughs> properly which is an almost poetically appropriate indication of what went wrong and with that's what the vienna art schools were like this is what you can't do this is you're yeah. not good with people and if that's not as uh, as poetic as an ending as we can come to i don't think there is one <laughs> I, I can't draw people Oh God! Oh God! Anyway, <laughs> uh, don't give Ryan any power ever. No, don't we listen knew to that him. already. Yeah. I mean, we, don't we listen did. to him. We it's fine. It'll be yeah. fine. Remember. Anyway, never mind. Um, that was almost dramatic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Well. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, Gonna go it. back in time. Don't, don't do that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I was just blocking to that. <laughs> it's in your head. Oh my I, God. I, Kevin, I approve. Uh, no, it's it's already gone. It's only because you said anything that I'm even still aware that something happened over here. Don't worry, I can play back. Hold on. Back to the future. <laughs> 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 All right, let's do this. Yeah. Get her done. We're burning daylight. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Testing. The human torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> the arsonist has oddly shaped feet. <coughs> Welcome back to another episode of Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me this evening is... Kevin Druitt. Robert Thomas. Lex Cardone. And we're recording on June 6th, 2019. So uh, we're back with another episode, and today is uh, the 75... Uh, 75... God, we'll just start from the beginning. I just fucked it from the beginning. Just... We're, we're back. I'm back. <laughs> um, I'm back, up. folks. I'm back, motherfuckers. Time to practice got eight more some, takes uh, to go. meditation I, before going to Japan. I, t- I took a... I took uh, I took almost all the beginning from it, and I still fuck it up. <laughs> well, I heard that on the sound of the crash. Anyway, welcome back to another episode of Almost Automatic. I'm your host Ryan Young, and joining me this evening is Kevin Truitt. 